The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all of Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His widowing fan is at hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Right before Mass, I was giving a pro tip to the altar boys about how to light the Advent candle. So if you have an Advent candle at home, I'll extend that tip to you. You start with the rose candle and you go directly across, so that's the first one that you light. And then for the second week, it's really up to you as long as you're consistent, but then you go to the next violet one. And then so next week, we'll be in the rose, halfway through Advent. So we're almost halfway there, but the first two Sundays of Advent have a particular theme and tenor that is very different than the next two Sundays of Advent. This Sunday and last Sunday are about God's judgment. And then the first, or the next two Sundays of Advent are about his first coming. And so as we look forward to his second coming at the end of time, we look back to his first coming. And the thread that connects the two Now, the church often calls that the third coming. How do we encounter him here and now? But the the third coming, the thread that connects both his coming in the human flesh of Jesus Christ 2,022 years ago and his coming at the end of time, which could be today. I hope it is. I'm kind of tired of all this. But when he comes again at the end of time, right? he comes as king and he comes as Lord, just like he came the first coming. But it'll be different because it will be definitive. So now we're caught in the middle. We have this period of waiting. And throughout Scripture, 
St. Peter and St. Paul in their letters, they say that this waiting is for our good. That God is so patient with us that he allows us this time, this life, to get our act together, to repent. So time and time again, confession after confession, recalibrating, repenting, coming back to the Lord, that's what this life is really all about. And so that kingship, I'd like to reflect on that kingship of Jesus. And the second point, very briefly, about what it means to be his herald. For those baptized who are becoming Catholic and those who will be baptized, God willing, at Easter, right, in our baptism, we become heralds of Jesus Christ. I mean, we become his ambassadors. So to unpack that theme a little bit, I was reminded of, of this theme yesterday. Somebody sent me a clip some uh, basketball coach was asked, you know, what do you think about the royal family being in attendance? He said, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? He's like, well, I hope they're Celtic fans. <laughs> what a great answer. So if you know that coach and you have the ability, I'd like to buy that guy a beer. Um, so let me know after Mass if you can make that happen. What a great answer. Now, we as Americans in particular, we have a, a, a love-hate relationship with kings. I don't know why... You know, we still have this culture of, of being enamored with the British royalty. We fought a whole war right, to get rid of them. <laughs> but, that's, I mean, but it's not just Americans. I know there's a lot of different cultures and times that have this love-hate relationship with kings, with royalty. Right, right before the First World War, largely a lot, a lot of the part of that war was shedding off the old world, shedding off these, these forms of kings and queens to rule the world. But it goes back even further than that, that in the, the Jewish people, I like to just pick apart the, the Jewish culture during the time of Jesus and the Roman culture and their relationship with Jesus, because it's in that culture that Jesus reveals himself as king of kings. And it's very different than the Roman understanding and very different than the Jewish understanding. Now, for the Jewish person, they had, of course, King Herod the Great when Jesus was born a baby, and then King Herod the Tetrarch when he was crucified. And they had a very tenuous relationship with the Jewish people, and they were essentially proxies for, for the Romans. But even long before that, in the desert, those 40 years after God himself liberated his chosen people from slavery, and he says, I will be your king. What does that mean? I will give you the law. I will show you how to live. I will be your father. I will protect you. I will guard you and guide you. I will provide for your every need. And right after being liberated, they understood this a little bit better. I mean, there was the, the idolatry in, in the desert. It wasn't perfect. But for about 300 years, they were ruled by God as king. And then things got a little bit tough. And the people cried out, we want a king like everybody else has a king. And they went to the prophet Samuel and says, make it happen. Anoint for us a king. And Samuel went to God in prayer. He says, Lord, what am I to do? I, I know that you are supposed to be their king. And God said, don't worry, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. It's not your fault. They're rejecting me. So don't take it personally. They're rejecting me. But just warn them. Warned them so they know what they're getting into. If they want to have a human king like all the other pagan nations around them, this human king will lord it over them. 
They will take your sons and conscript them into military service. They will take your old men and give them the jobs of the young men that are now vacant. They will take your women and force them to work in the royal courts. They will tax you and take all your best stuff so that to support their, their bureaucracy. Just so you know, that's what you're getting into. So when you're asking for a king, that's what you're going to get. They said, oh, surely not with us, Lord. I know that happens everywhere else, but it's not going to happen with us. God said, okay, I warned you. Sure enough, their first king starts out promising, but they elect. Right? It's a high school uh, you know, uh, homecoming vote. So they elect like the, the quarterback of the team, Saul. And sure enough, it goes to his head and becomes enraged with jealousy. So God says, all right, I'll intervene and I'll pick this little boy and I'll form him according to my own heart, David. And for a while, that works out pretty well until that goes to his head. And then it's basically a downward slope from there. So they recognize throughout history of like, oh yeah, um, God should be our king, not these humans. We kind of made a mistake. So that's the context that Jesus enters to reveal himself as the Jewish king, the king of kings, of all the kings on the world. And then the Romans as well have this love-hate relationship. They started out with kings. They would vote for their king democratically until the king started to lord his authority over the Roman people. Until they eventually said, we'd rather die a thousand deaths than be ruled by a tyrant ever again. So they had this solemn vow, and it worked for about 500 years in their republic, to never have a king again. And then Julius Caesar rose, and he says, oh, I'm not a king. I'm just first among equals. And just like an animal farm, that they're all equal, but some are a little more equal than others. And so they don't use the title of king, but in fact, that's what they are. And eventually this leads to their ruin. So that's also the context right after Julius Caesar, Octavius Augustus, that Jesus enters this scene to reveal what his kingship really is. And so he doesn't rule by force. He doesn't force these candidates and catechumens to be here today. He doesn't force any of us to be here today. He proposes his rule. He proposes, this is the way my kingdom is. But it's also a package deal. We don't get to pick and choose the terms of our citizenship in this kingdom. We're either in the kingdom or we're not. And ultimately, there's only two kingdoms. The king of kings, the prince of peace, and the prince of darkness. And so we would delude ourselves to think that there's dual citizenship. So baptism is our citizenship, is our entry into this kingdom. But we would do well to recognize that we do not set the terms of our citizenship. It's a package deal, but it's good. It's a good package. It's challenging, and it's hard, but it's good. And it leads to our freedom being provided for, to recognize that just like spiritual little children, we might think what we need, but God actually knows what we need. So to trust him as a provident father, as this king who has power to provide, to protect, to guard, and to guide. And then we are heralds of this king. The second and last point, that by virtue of baptism, right, we're not the king, but we're called to represent him. That's what being a herald is. And certainly during 
feudal European society, they had very strict rules of exactly what being a herald meant. And it ultimately entailed blameless conduct so that nobody would ever say anything bad about the king because of you, because of me, because of, of the heralds. And so being blameless conduct, but then also representing our king. Right? Whatever we say, it's in line with what the king says. Whatever we do, it's in line with what the king would have us do. And so that all of our life becomes more and more in conformity to what the king would have us represent. So I know there are some excellent heralds at this parish. I've met many of them, right, whose virtue and holiness and intellect put me to shame. I'm very thankful that our king is patient with me and with you, and he offers on-the-job training. That's the whole gift of this life, is we can start again, that we can repent, we can try harder, we can be more dependent on his grace. That's really what Advent, especially these two, first two weeks are all about, is this deeper conversion so that we can imitate him more, talk more like him, act more like him. And that's where I suspect that most of us can grow. So this Holy Mass, during this holy season of Advent, may it help us to be better heralds of the King of Kings. May we seek to expand his kingdom in our hearts, in our families, and in our circle of influence. May we have a deeper understanding and appreciation of our role as his heralds. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.